0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to the Wharton Sports Business Show on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111.
1: Welcome back. This is the Wharton Sports Business Show on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. This is George Perry with Ken Shropshire. And Ken, we just had a a great discussion about the Olympics and the the business of the Olympics and particularly, well, obviously the Winter Olympics, but it's time to switch gears to a more warm weather sport, which you being in Arizona, you are able to do every day. Me being in Philadelphia, not so much. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd like to welcome to the show uh, Mike Davis, who is the Executive Director and CEO of the United States Golf Association. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show.
2: George Ken, nice to be with you. And, uh, you know, I, I am, I'm assuming with your affiliation with Warden that you're both Philadelphia Eagle fans. So, uh, congratulations. Being a Pittsburgh Steeler fan, I was, uh, I was rooting, rooting for the state uh, team. And, uh, so good, nice going.
0: Oh, that must have been painful. We're, we're glad you were <laughs> got, got on the, the, on the bandwagon. The, the Pennsylvania Eagles. We'll, we'll, we'll leave, we'll leave That's that right. You know, the way
2: back, it, it was actually the, uh, they were called the Steagles at one point back, um, I think during the wars when both organizations couldn't figure out how to keep it going individually. So they, they merged for a year and they were called the Steagles. So interesting history.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it, it is fascinating. I mean, they it, it fit in the same ranks of the you know, a, a league of their own with the, the women playing baseball and, and that sort of thing. No, that's a, that's a, that is one of those fascinating stories in, in sport. Yeah,
1: I was, I was wondering when the government, when the governor said that the entire state of Pennsylvania was proud of the Eagles, I was like, I, I wonder how those Steelers fans <laughs> were about that. You,
2: you know, you got to remember, uh, the, uh, Steelers fans, um, we have six Super Bowls. And, oh, okay, and, okay, and I and know New where England, this is going. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, it was, it was a great game.
1: Well, fantastic. But Mike, we we brought you on to talk a little golf. So um, (laughs) we are going to, uh, before we get into kind of your background and your role there at USGA and kind of the future of golf here, um, maybe for our audience, you can um, give a little bit of an overview of of kind of what the difference is between the, because I'm in the business and sometimes it's become confusing, the difference between the USGA, the PGA Tour and kind of the PGA of America.
2: Sure. Well, the United States Golf Association, we were founded back in 1896. And th- think of us as the organization that we, along with the, uh, the R&A over in St. Andrews, Skyland, um, we, we really govern the game. So we write the rules for the game, so the playing rules, the equipment rules, the amateur status rules, the... Rules for handicapping and course rating, so so kind of think of it as as a structure. But we also, you know, in this country, run national championships. So it's the U.S. Open, the U.S. Women's Open, the U.S. Amateur, Women's Amateur, the Boys and Girls Juniors, and so on and so forth. Um, Whereas the, in in addition to that, and I'll talk a little bit later about it, but we do a lot of things for specifically for the game of golf. So we're a nonprofit. Um, so we we do a lot of things for golf courses themselves and best practices and and a lot of research which we've done for well over 100 years to, to really help the game and it's also how we engage with golfers the PGA of America is really a it's a wonderful organization that's almost 100 years old but it's made up of club professionals so it's it's the people that you know come to work every day thinking about Um, you know, helping run golf courses and helping grow the game. And then the PGA tour and LPGA tour, really the you know, week to week um, tours that you see on TV that, you know, it's, it's that elite game. It's about entertainment. It's about um, growing the game and inspiring the game. So, you know, it's interesting because we all work together wonderfully and, you know, there really is not competition. It's just kind of a love of the game. And how do, how do we make it better?
0: I, I guess uh, to, to help me a lo- little bit more because I'm, 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 I'm with George in terms of I think I understand most of the time. National governing body of golf, who, who would that be? So the Olympics, U.S.G.A. Yeah, that would
2: be. So, um, you know, in terms of the Olympics, uh, it's it's a slightly different thing that that is actually falls under what's called the International Golf Federation. So it's more mm-hmm. than just the United States and. Um, that, that's an organization that actually the USGA helped found back in 1958 and really until very recent, it didn't have the professional game involved. So, um, but it's, it's, as I say, the International Golf Federation is made up of, of, of several different organizations, including the PGA Tour, the LPGA Tour, the PGA of America, the RNA, the European Tour, and, and certainly the USGA and, um, but it, its main role um, beyond the Olympics and working with the with the IOC is really um, doing what's called the World Amateur Team Championship, which prior to the professionals getting involved in the Olympics and golf getting in the Olympics was was almost the Olympics of, of golf, if you will, but for the amateur game.
1: So, so Mike, uh, if you could, then could you talk a little bit about your background and kind of how you, you your your journey to becoming the CEO of the USGA?
2: Sure. Well, I started, so I played junior golf in Pennsylvania and played competitive college golf. And then I I, um, worked really had nothing to do with golf after college um, in in the commercial real estate area. And then uh, roughly 28, 29 years ago, I started my career at the USGA. And I was focused on really being the point person for the US Open on, on how that was Conducted from an administrative standpoint, I, I shortly thereafter got involved with with helping uh, teach and write the rules of golf. Um, so I've done a lot of different things, but um, about seven years ago, I became executive director and CEO of the of the USGA. And you know, just a little bit about the USGA itself: it's as I mentioned, we were founded in 1894, and really founded for the. The the focus is, is just to run national championships. We needed to figure out in the United States whether it's male or female who is the national champion. So we were founded by some private clubs back then, saying we we need an association in the United States to figure out who is who's the champion in you know the United States on both the men's and women's side. So. And that year in 1895, the U.S. Open started, the U.S. Amateur started, the U.S. Women's Amateur started. And uh, shortly thereafter, we, we realized that if you're going to run events, you've, you've got to have rules for those, You know whether it's equipment rules or playing rules. And that's really how we got engaged um, you know, 120-some years ago in, in the governance part of the game. And that's carried over to where we're inv- you know involved in the governance really on a worldwide basis
1: so so you'd be the person i talked to, to 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 get the hold be much bigger <laughs> to help my game yeah I,
2: I i i wonder that myself every time i play the game you know, you know it's really interesting the game of golf itself is is roughly 600 years old it goes back to the 1400s and you know at its very root golf is really about picking up some type of club and swinging it hitting a Ball and seeing how many strokes it takes you to get it into the hole and um you know that started out really with with, with sticks hitting stones in the rabbit holes in scotland and you know it's evolved into something um you know it, 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 it's very essence it's the same thing but it's obviously using a lot more technology than um than we once had we you know, we went from hickory balls and hitting hitting a a leather ball filled with feathers to, to now very high-tech, you know, composites that we're using on golf courses that are just manicured beautifully, and, and the game really, where if you look 150 years ago, it, it was pretty much played in in the United Kingdom and the United States, Canada and Australia and you know South South Africa, maybe Argentina, but but for the most part, it was it wasn't a lot of countries. And now it's, you know, we've got over 150 countries that are members of the International Golf Federation. And, you know, perhaps other than soccer, it's about as international as it gets in terms of participation. And, and, um, you know, it's, and it's, you know, you look just here in the United States, it is a big business. It's a, you know, it's direct impact is over $70 billion and it's got, 2 million people directly employed in the game in this country and it's um it does more for charity than all the other sports put together and so it's it's a it's a big thing and you know probably the best thing about it is it's a game of a lifetime and it's it's for beginners it's for experts it's it's the game that you can play of you know varying skills you can play on an equitable basis through the handicap system which i'm not sure i, I can think of another sport where you can do that so it's got
0: a lot of wonderful attributes so, so you mentioned uh, a, a great aspect of, of the game of golf that i don't think a lot of people understand and again I, I don't know exactly the usga's role in it and that is the the, the charitable nature of, of of many of the tournaments that, that take place i mean people know when you know they kind of put together something to, to raise money but there in just about every tournament there is some sort of charitable aspect could could you talk about that
2: yeah, sure. I mean, when when you watch, say, a PGA Tour event on TV or a, a LPGA Tour event, um, virtually every one of those is organized, you know, as, as a five hundred one c three. So, um, its money, you know, it, its net proceeds must go to, you know, whatever the designated charity is, and uh, and beyond that, you know, the game of golf itself. I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it, you know, it there's just Forgetting about the elite level tour golf, um, golf is used as a vehicle to to generate significant—I mean, millions and millions of dollars on an annual basis—are raised through you know golf outings, and and um, it's you know it, it does so much for you know really giving back to you know not not only to just a mankind, and, and uh, it's it's amazing when you start to think about what golf does for society and in addition just the recreational and social aspects and what it does for the environment, um, it's got a great story to tell.
1: So, so Mike, I'm i am a hacker when it comes to golf. I'm actually a, a more of a tennis player, but um, but I've noticed how much the technology has, has kind of changed the game of tennis. And, and certainly you can see that um, just from the, the bigger and bigger Drivers that I keep having to buy every couple of years. That the technology is <laughs> is changing the game of golf. How do you balance the you know technology good for the game? Technology maybe not so good for the game. And, and how do you guys constantly monitor that and, and make sure that everybody's kind of on this level playing field and that it isn't making the it's actually making the game better as opposed to making it worse.
2: Well, you are asking a great question, and, and it's a very complex question at, at that. It, because if if you look at it to your point what has transpired over the years, and, and this has even happened in our lifetimes where the technology has gotten to the point where it truly has made the game uh, in some ways easier to play. Um, clubs have gotten lighter. The, the, the so-called sweet spot in a club is bigger. The ability for a golfer to get the ball up in the air is easier now with perimeter weighted clubs. And um, I could go on and on from a technical standpoint. So, so much of that is a great thing. I mean, it really does. It, it, it allows golfers, beginning golfers, you know, youth golfers, to learn the game easier. And, it, and it's a listen. Golf is a challenging game. On the other hand, you know, some of the some of the aspects of technology, some people would argue, has have, have changed the game, and not necessarily always for the better. And and I think that with some of the really good golfers it's taken some of the skill that's needed and, and frankly it's made it a little bit easier. So to, to, to hit a driver used to be, um, you know, a real skill that's gotten a little bit, you know, it's gotten easier to do right now. So what you're asking is, is something that is a body in the game. Equipment and, you know, ultimately our goal with equipment is to, you know, we want to make the game welcoming, but at the same time, what we don't want to see is, is, you know your your score, what you shoot on a golf course, uh, overly affected by the improvements in technology. And and you know tennis is a analogy. You think about the wooden rackets and the small sweet spot, and how that's changed with composite rackets. And one of the things that I know we face in golf, which is is been frankly, um, you know, one of the the real negatives with what's happened with technology is. It has affected golf courses and the footprint they sit on. So golf courses, because of the better technology, the, the ball simply put with combination of ball and club, the, you know, it's the the distance players are hitting it now is just longer than it was. And I'll, I'll give you a real life example. We, we are playing this year's U.S. Open at a place called Shinnecock Hills out in East, uh, excuse me, Southampton, New York, and the distance for Chinnacock this year will be a little bit over 7,400 yards. We actually played the second U.S. Open there in 1896. And the distance for that golf course was 4,423 yards. That's almost a 60% increase. And you think about this in other sports. I mean, imagine taking a 100-yard football field and saying that's 160 yards long. Or imagine... Baseball having to move out the the outfield by 60 percent or a tennis court making it 60 but that's that is what's happened in golf over the the last century or so and in some ways I think as a golfer we all enjoy hitting it further but distance is in fact all relative so um, you know the long hitters a hundred years ago were the long hitters and um, and and that's and and so what's happened with golf courses? It's been expensive transition where there have been use more land, which means there's more more golf course to maintain. It costs more money and labor. It costs more in resources. It's more watered, irrigated. It. It's um, so frankly, it's one of the things that's really challenging the game. And while there's many parts of the game which are in outstanding condition, I mean the game the game's growing globally. We are seeing here at home, we've got more junior golfers than we've ever had. We've got more women and more girls playing than we've ever had. We have more non-Caucasians playing. So the future is very bright, but the one thing that that is challenging the game right now is the golf course itself because we have a little over 15,000 golf courses in the United States, and there's roughly 33,000 in the world. And those, you know, many of those are businesses, and they're challenged. That you know, as the the cost to maintain golf courses and labor and the inputs, you know, such as fertilizer or water, those have continued to go up at a much higher rate than the revenues have gone up. And and we've gotten to a point now where in the United States we have one out of four golf courses that are not making money. So if there's a pressure on the game of golf right now frankly it's really directed at the golf courses themselves and um so and it's something that i can tell you the usga is laser focused on and ways to really help the game and whether that's best practices or lessening water usage or or you know even how, how does equipment affect the, the footprint of a golf course the size of it
0: hey mike let me ask you a real practical question i hate, hate to make this the uh a personal service show, <laughs> but, but so I, I, you know, and I'm listening to what you said about about the equipment, especially. I'm you know I'm out here spending a lot more time in Arizona, as, as, as George suggests. So I'm able to play a little bit more, but I'm I'm a stubborn. I'm, I'm the kind of guy says, I don't want to buy any new clubs until I can really get my stroke down. I've been saying that for about ten years, but I did buy some clubs about three or four years ago. I, I'm wondering how often you you should say, let me upgrade the technology? Is there any kind of rule of, of, of thumb that you should think about? I mean, I know, I know you know the, the manufacturers want you to do it every season, but is there some, you know, I mean, I'm, I don't have a persimmon drive or anything like that, but...
2: <laughs> right. Well, listen, um, here's what I would say about that, is that, you know, technology has continued to get better, and what, what, what we've seen, probably for the last decade, is that, You know, if if you take a, let's say, a driver of today and and you compare it with a driver of five years ago, ten years ago, I would say this, there's not significant difference in in what you've seen in terms of upgrades. Now, I'm not suggesting there hasn't been upgrades, but, you know, that's very different from the persimmon wood of, say, 25 years ago, going to the big-headed driver, which is, you know, it's much bigger swing speed. You know, sweet spot is longer, it's uh, lighter, it's easier to swing, easier to get the ball up, um, easier to adjust to, to, to really meet your own swing specifications. But I would say in the last five or 10 years, what we've really seen is a the golf industry become much, much more competent in terms of fitting the equipment to match your swing versus, you know, going back 25 years ago, you bought equipment, and you really had to kind of – you had to figure out your swing for that equipment, and, and it's done just the opposite. So, you know, if, if you were to get professionally fitted, you know, by a PGA of America member, somebody that really knew what they were doing and could watch you swing and could do an analysis, look at your, you know, spin rates, your launch angles, which way you were curving the ball, they could fit you today uh definitely better than they could 10 years ago.
1: So so Mike uh, in the last minute that we have here uh love to get kind of what's 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 what are you looking forward to this year as far as golf in the USGA
2: Well listen we we we're going to one of our favorite venues at the US Open at, at Shinnecock Hills um which will be terrific um but you know we're doing some other exciting things we are um the beginning of next year so January 1 of 2019 we we a new set of modernized rules of golf go into effect and they're easier to, they're easier to understand. They're easier to apply. We'll leverage technology. And then the following year in 2020, we will be launching a worldwide handicap system along with our partner, the RNA. So this is going to allow golfers from everywhere in the world to, to have a handicap computed the same way it is, you know, everywhere else. So if you're a ten handicap in the United States, you'd be able to play on an equal basis with somebody in Australia, somebody in Japan, somebody in Argentina, or somebody in Scotland. And very exciting stuff. So there's a lot of exciting things happening in the game of golf, and uh, you know it does have some challenges that I alluded to, but um, it, you know it really is a wonderful game for for, for a lifetime. And I, I think we're just excited about where where the trajectory that the game's headed.
1: Fantastic. Well, Mike, we really appreciate you coming on board. I'm certainly looking forward to uh, the new rules and simplification of the rules. Uh, appreciate your time and everything you've done for for golf, and uh, thank you for joining us. Okay. Great being with you guys. Take care.
0: For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.